Welcome to Blitzcast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt. Welcome to another episode of Blitzcast. This is your host, Brendan Bolin, joined alongside my partner, Ed Hunt. How you doing today, my man? Pretty good. How are you doing today, Brendan? I'm doing fantastic, Ed. I just got an opportunity to head down to Cleveland to watch the Cleveland and Denver game, and you know it was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, so I'm going to be in a good mood for a long time <laughs> after that one. It doesn't get better than that, man. Cleveland has got to be you know, one of the best best feelings I've ever been in. I mean, the energy there was impeccable. The fans were amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they it was seriously like heaven on earth, my man. I mean, other than that, that, that was Thursday night football. Saturday, we had some amazing college football. Sunday, we had some incredible NFL football. And I know we're saying this every single week. I mean, this, is, this has got to be one of the best seasons we've watched in a long time. College football and NFL, Ed. One, one game that really, you know, kind of was sticking out to us was... There was a nine overtime game in college football this week. No team scored over 25 points in nine overtime. So, Ed, Penn State losing in nine overtimes to an unranked Illinois. That's a big, big loss for Penn State. Back-to-back weeks, and it's a big win for Illinois. But what is what does this loss mean for Penn State? Their their chances of their playoff chances are long gone at this point. But what does it mean for them now? For Penn State, I see them being sort of in the Big Ten race. I I definitely see them being in the Big Ten race. I think they got some big games. You know, they're going to play Ohio State this weekend, and then they they play a lot of the big opponents. So I I don't think think the Big Ten is decided yet for Penn State. It was such an ugly game by Penn State. There's really not another way to put it. Uh, They gave up 357 rushing yards. Uh, what's, What's been different with Penn State these last two weeks? I mean, I think I think a big struggle in this game was uh, was 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 throwing the ball and just completing the passing game. Just you know, it was just a lot of short passes that just weren't getting completed. They were just well covered, and I, th- I think part of it is is that they didn't have the right play call. Because I mean, in a two point conversion, you should be able to call a play to get your guys open. And you know, I put some of the fault on the receivers, but I also put some of the fault on their quarterback. Yeah, no, and I get that. And Clifford, it doesn't look like Clifford was, you know, they were even talking about it. He was not exactly healthy that game. So uh, your playbook necessarily wasn't, you know, everything you wanted it to be. But at the end of the day, if you're starting in a football game, you have to be able to produce. And they couldn't do that. And um, Penn State, defensively, they they were horrible. They couldn't tackle. I wanted to give a huge shout-out to um, Chase Brown and Josh McCray. I mean, both of them were averaging six yards a carry, and that's that's an unranked football team putting a beat down on a team that we consider to be one of the best in college football. If you want to be, you know, competing, like you said, the Big Ten, it's not, it's not closed yet. There's an opportunity for them. But if you want to compete, you have to fix that. Like, you're, you're, you have a big matchup next week against Ohio State, who's playing some of their best football. And Penn State's best football might be behind them right now. I'm impressed they lost this game. It is so hard to have three takeaways on defense and not give the ball away and still lose. It's impressive to me that they lost this game. This is actually one of the worst displays of their defense in the history of the Nittany Lions. They've only given up more rushing yards than this two times ever in the history of them. And you're doing it to an unranked Illinois team. So uh, I really think this team is it's kind of beat up right now. After this this Ohio State game, it's it's going to be an ugly one. But 
I really think that Penn State's in in for a tough ride right now, Ed. I don't see I don't see their defense getting healthy fast enough. I don't see Clifford getting back to his top level fast enough. It's it's going to be a tough end of the season for Penn State. Yeah, I mean one thing one thing that happened in that game was that Illinois lost their running back and their quarterback, and Penn State still won that game. One, I also want to give credit to Illinois' defense. They were so aggressive all day long, and that's that's really what kept them in the game. I mean, obviously, you're averaging six yards a carry, but there's no pass game, and it's just it's so unique to see that nowadays because we know college or we know football is now a passing sport. It's an offensive passing sport, and to see a team not have any takeaways and then just run the ball for 400 yards, pretty much, it's it's really exciting to see. Also, Ed, I wanted to get your opinion on something. These OT rules, I mean, this is they're implementing some new rules this year. They're testing them out. I don't know how long they're planning on going with them, but it's just kind of weird to see a final score be 20 to 18 after eight or nine overtimes. It's it, I don't understand. How do you feel about these overtime rules? Do you, do you think they should go back to how they previously were, or are you kind of a fan of the two-point conversion go back and forth? I really like what they've done with... Uh... The overtime in college football. I think they actually do overtime better than the NFL. The NFL is what doesn't make sense. <clears throat> so it's like you put a lot of stock in the coin toss, and you don't want you don't want the coin toss to have a lot of stock. But it's like you know, in overtime, it's like the NFL team, and it's like you know, if they if they, if, if it's a really high offensive game, it's like whoever gets the ball goes and scores a touchdown, and then they win the game. So it's like you know, you give the game to the offensive team. And then, you know, at the same time, it's like if you kick a field goal, they get another chance. I mean, it's it's more fair than it used to be. But, you know, it used to be just kind of like if you, if you go in there and score anything, I mean, the teams would just go for a field goal and win the game, you know, try to win the ball. But it's like in this, you know, it's like both teams get a possession. It's fast paced. You know, it's to the point. I mean, after you've kind of watched a whole game, right? Like you want you want things to be shorter, right? Like you want you want you want to get to the point, get to the red zone and get to the the big plays. I really like this college football playoff uh, from a viewer standpoint. And I think it's just from a fair fairness standpoint, I think it's much better. It kind of reminds me of, you know, sort of like what's exciting is soccer is like, you know, it comes down to PKs and, and it's like a shortened down version of the game. And I think, I think that's when overtime is effective. I like what you said there. It, uh, it makes it more fair and you know what it actually, it really does. I, I think my thing is it's just so weird to see them go, you know, go for two and then the team comes on then goes for two and then goes for two. I totally get what where you're coming from with that. It gives it go, gives both teams pretty much the exact same opportunity as in the NFL. If if it is a high scoring, low defensive game, whoever gets the ball first is going to win. I think they should do something you know along the lines of if the first team scores a touchdown, give the second team an opportunity if they score next team to score from their wins or something like that. I see where you're coming from. It's just, it might take me some getting used to, but, you know, next week, I don't think we're going to see a nine-overtime game out of Penn State. I, I really think Ohio State is going to run away with this one. Ed, how do you feel about this upcoming game? Ohio State is really trying to make a statement. They're trying to get into that fourth seed for the playoffs. Um, them and Oklahoma look like it's going to be a, a battle between the two. If Ohio State can get big wins from here on out, they might have a chance, Ed. Yeah, the Buckeyes the Buckeyes do have one loss, but they've played well since this loss and it looks like the Big 10 is, you know, if I could probably guess who's going to win the Big 10, I'd probably say Ohio State at this point. CJ Shroud is playing some good football. He's a good quarterback. 
Um, I see Pe- Ohio State rolling over Penn State. Um, my score prediction would maybe be Ohio State 40, Penn State 21. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. And I'm glad you mentioned C.J. Stroud. I mean, he's been seriously playing like a Heisman candidate. Last week, 21 for 28, 266 yards and four touchdowns. They put up 30 points in a quarter, Ed. And I, I don't really care who you're playing. If you put up 30 points in a quarter, you're you're doing something right, <laughs> yeah. you know. It's and it's it's just incredibly impressive to see. Ever since that uh, Oregon loss, where we kind of saw their defense, you know, it it was it was one of the biggest shambles we've seen their defense in in a long time. But ever since that, they have been blowing teams out of the water. 41 to 20, 59 to 7, 52 13, 66 17, 54 7. Penn State doesn't have a chance, Ed. Penn State does not have a chance. Coming off of back to back weeks, not having any offense, the fact that you can't throw for over 150 yards against Illinois, you're you're not going to do anything against Ohio State, who's playing, like I said, their best football right now. They they have picked it up since that Oregon game. They're like, you guys, this is not who we are. We have we have one of the most explosive offenses in the league. And n- name me the three guys on Penn State who are going to cover Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Chris Olaf. It's not going to happen. I, Penn State just they don't have the manpower, they don't have the speed, they don't have the football players to match up with Ohio State this year. And I know Penn State in the past has given Ohio State their surprises and given them the upset, but this year is not that year. So just an interesting fact about you, you asked about who's covering who. Uh, Joey Porter, Joey Porter's son, is going to be one of those guys covering those Ohio State guys. Kind of interesting. He's having a good year, and I think he's NFL worthy. But um, yeah, I, I mean, Penn State, Penn State, definitely. I mean, you know, there, there's some, there's some. I have, I have my questions of uh, Penn State on the offensive side of the ball too. Yeah, no, I agree, and uh, not denying that Penn State has talented football players, but. Ohio State has very talented football players and great depth at that. I mean, these are two receivers that are likely first-round guys and then a guy that could be taken, you know, second or third. Like, these are some of the best receivers in college football. And I also, I I don't think they're going to be able to stop Ohio State's run game. Ohio State hasn't necessarily been a a running football team this year. But at the same time, if, if Illinois showed that they could run the ball on you, for 300, 400 yards, why not? I mean, Henderson Henderson had 81 yards last week, so um, you, you had three rushers nearly over 50 yards. I, I really think this is going to be a sad sight for Penn State fans. One game that I think will be a little bit closer, I think Michigan pulls away, uh, is Michigan-Michigan State. This is a game that I've been really excited for. Both of these teams have looked better than they have in, in you know recent years. Michigan is just looking so great on both sides of the ball right now. I, I have to take Michigan in this one, Ed. Yeah, I, th- I think Michigan will end up winning this game. Um, I probably I probably have them put the favorite. If I were to put sort of a, a number to it, I'd say maybe this is like a 28-24 game, uh, you know, with Michigan winning by four. I think Michigan is definitely, a, I really do think they're quite a bit better football team than Michigan State, but we know what type of game this is. This is a big rivalry game. These these are always good football games. So I, I do believe it's going to be a one-possession game. I, I just, Michigan, yeah, you have to take Michigan because Michigan's defense is absolutely unreal this year. Um, they're only second in the entire, in, in all of college football behind Georgia and points allowed. And their run game has been awesome this year. The first three games, they have had at least 335 rushing yards. And uh, it's, it's slowed down somewhat since then, but I, 
Michigan State has proved has not been that elite in the run game this year. And uh, one thing that I, I really think gives Michigan the advantage is they do the little things right. Uh, they're great at converting on third downs. They they just they play smart football, and that's something that Michigan State can't do. Uh, they they don't they aren't great at converting. They kind of rely on these big plays. I I think Michigan State kind of. I, th- I think it's going to be a close game, but we see that Michigan has control of it all game just because they are able to consistently pick up those third downs. And I, I don't want to say that, you know, Michigan's going to completely run all over them, though. Michigan State's defensive line has been really good this year. They've had three sacks in every game but one. Uh, so I, I want to give them credit. They're not going to make it easy. But at the end of the day, we know how this one's going to go. Yeah, I mean, a couple things I want to add just... You know the way Michigan's playing. I mean, one thing is, is like, I mean, they their, their passing game is doing enough to win. Cade McNamara is doing enough to win, but really their running game is great. Um, Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins have been absolutely outstanding. They've been able to run the ball. We talk about what they can do on the defensive side of the ball. Aiden Hutchinson's having a great year. Um, you know, he's he's going to be one of those names we talk about around the draft. A lot of things, a lot of things are going right for the Michigan Wolverines, and to be honest with you, the last few years, I mean, they they've been very a very up and down uh, team, right? They've been a, they've been a very up and down program, and uh, right now, right now, it's up, and I give Harbaugh a lot of credit. He's coaching for a job. No, absolutely, Ed. I mean, we we saw how Michigan has been, you know, the last few years, and that guy is like quite literally playing for his job. So uh, to see him turn around, it's it's really awesome for him. Yeah, I'm happy for the guy. We we know he's been a great coach, been in the Super Bowl, and couldn't necessarily figure it out right away in Michigan. But I'm I'm glad to see this team turn it around. Like you said, the the running game's been incredible. Uh, Michigan has two of the top three highest graded running backs in football, and we we all know who the other is. B. John Robinson from Texas, absolutely unreal football player. But Corum and Haskins are one and three in uh, highest graded college running backs. So. It's just absolutely sickening that they have two of these guys. And um, when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, they have one of the best pass rushers in the league in all of college football as well. They have they have a lot of potential first-round picks on this football team. So I really do think Michigan, roster-wise, doing the little things, coaching, they're, they're better than Michigan State right now. Um, but just this the energy of this game, the rivalry of this game, the willpower of Michigan State is going to keep this one close. But Ed, I wanted to I wanted to transition over into the NFL. There has been some wacky stuff going on this year, man. I mean, it, it seriously, I don't think I've ever seen a more interesting, flipped around season in my life. I mean, I I get it. I'm I'm younger than most, but this is this is crazy. I mean, the the Raiders have been absolutely phenomenal, and the Raiders' defense is good. I mean, what world do we live in that the Raiders' defense is good? Uh, I, I I need to give this team a lot of credit right now because um, losing Gruden, you know, obviously you don't want to lose a head coach, regardless of what team you are. Losing a head coach is not an experience that a team wants to go through. This Raiders team has impressed Ed. What what is it about this Raiders team? What are they doing? You know, I think I think a big a big you know you know hurrah should be given for Derek Derek Carr. I mean, I think I think he's really led this team. I think he's been one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league. I think he's very effective. I think he's accurate. I think he's crisp. I think he's moving the ball fast. He deserves a lot of credit. And 
you know, he's not doing it behind a great offensive line. I do think I do think their left tackle is doing very well, but you know, outside of that, I don't really see this being a great offensive line. And he's really, he's you know, he's getting the ball out quick. He's moving the offense really well, and I think he deserves a lot of credit for what's going on. No, absolutely, and I, I, I really think offensively, he deserves ninety-five percent of the credit that's going on of what's going on. He's, he's seriously playing out of his mind. This is the best Derek Carr we have ever seen. He's playing like he wants to be an MVP candidate. He's, he's slowly forcing his name into the talks. And I mean, last week, the dude had a 91 completion percentage against what, and I get it. The Eagles are not a great football team, but that secondary is not to be, it's not to be, that's a good secondary. It's one of the better pass defenses in football. So to go 91% is absolutely unreal. Carr is playing out of his mind right now. And I also, I want to give a huge shout out to the defense. The This defense was something that was really holding them back from years and years and years on end. And Casey Hayward is playing like his younger self. And Nate Hobbs is proving to be arguably the best defensive steal out of the draft right now. He was a fifth rounder, and he's looking like one of the best defensive rookies overall. Uh, both of them have have uh, one of the highest amounts of coverage snaps without giving up a touchdown, both uh, mid-200s. That's that's ridiculous. That secondary is playing phenomenal. And then you add a defense that has Max Crosby, who leads the league in pressures, has five sacks, and Yannick Ngakwe, who just got Defensive Player of the Week, who had a couple of sacks, two passes defended, and four tackles himself. It, you're going to win football games. Once your defensive line is playing at a high level and your secondary is playing at a high level, plus your quarterback's playing at an MVP caliber level, there's no, there's no that, that equation equals wins. Uh, it's nothing else. And I also have to give credit just to the, the Raiders coach, uh, defensive coaching staff. Jonathan Abram was a liability for you last year. That guy was getting blown in coverage every single week every single week and they have finally figured out a way to utilize him that uses his strengths to his advantage they've really moved him into more of a box safety kind of like what um the Seahawks are doing with Jamal Adams and they've thrived because of it and it's it's I know a lot of teams don't want to really make that move and put a put a guy that they had high hopes for down in the box because that's not what you were necessarily expecting out of him but it's really done its justice and um I just wanted to point out one more thing here I really think that losing Gruden in a way, like I know I said that you never want to lose your head coach, but with what Josh Jacobs said um, after that game against the Eagles, really kind of put a lot into perspective about how the Raiders might feel. I know after once everything was going on, um, Derek Carr came out and said, you know, we're, this is our coach, we're supporting him. And, you know, I, I, I get that. But this week, uh, after the game, um, this is exactly what Josh Jacobs said. He said, man, the sideline was just, I had no anxiety. It was weird. It was like everybody was calm. You didn't have somebody cussing at you or going crazy at the refs. None of that. Something happened and like, okay, next play. So saying that if you, if you messed up on anything, you were getting chewed out and I get it. There's, there's, it's coaching. You have to be hard and critical of your players, but at the same time, these are these are your men. You're not trying to induce anxiety into them. That's not how you get the best football. You need to build confidence with your players. Like like with what Harbaugh does with, with uh, Lamar. Lamar makes a mistake. He goes and says, hey, dude, it happens. Go out there and, and, and keep playing. You know, he, he knows it happens. So um, I really think that that kind of 
adds a relaxed element to this Las Vegas Raiders football team. And playing relaxed football, I mean, there's there's amped and relaxed football and anxiety-induced football. And um, amped and relaxed is how they are right now. And that that's it's it's working for them. So I really like the direction this Raiders team is going. And I seriously think they they have a chance to finish second, maybe even if this defense keeps playing how it is, they have a legitimate chance to be AFC West champions. Uh, what do you what do you think about that, Ed? Do you think they have a shot to win it? I I mean I mean first 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 of you know you have to get past the Chargers right like I mean Justin Herbert I mean is not a force to not be reckoned with right like he's I mean he's playing great ball I just think you know when you talk about when you talk about teams that have you know more depth I think I think you know the Raiders have a few more stars on their team um, you know you know, the left tackle position, Casey Hayward. Um, so they've, they've got a few players that, you know, the Chargers don't have, although, although the chair, you know, the Chargers do have some stars and Keenan Allen and so forth. And um, so, I mean, you know, I, I just, right now, I think it's so even between them and I think this is going to be fun to watch, but I, I, I I'm not going to bet on either team to win, but I, I just, but you know, I I just don't know if the the Raiders have the roster depth. I I, I actually kind of differ for you on that their defense. I'm not I'm not as crazy about the Raiders defense outside of Casey Hayward um, as you are. Um, I I think there are a few good players on the Raiders defense, but I think there's a lot of very average, mediocre players on their defense. Oh, I I I agree. I'm not saying this defense is you know one of the best in the league, but the transition they made from last year to now is absolutely undeniable I mean and you know Max Crosby last season he wasn't he was not bad by any means but now he's playing like a top 10 edge rusher in the league and it's once you have guys and then um I mentioned Nate Hobbs I mean to to get a guy that that is a legitimate I mean legitimate number two corner out of a fifth rounder is that's that's awesome so I guess more of it's how they have worked with what they have on the defense that I'm impressed with they I'm not this defense roster wise like you said it is it is somewhat mediocre it truly is they have big they have a few big players but it's mediocre but i am i'm just impressed with how they've been able to produce with that roster um and you know you said it you said it well i'm not i'm not taking my bets on either team um right now i i truly do believe it is between the raiders and the chargers they are such an a close team and um i you know i I do think that the Chargers win one this year, and I think the Raiders win another. So I don't, I don't think one team's going to sweep the other. It's going to come down to division matchups, I think, and whoever can get more wins on the Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos, I think, I think ends up winning this division. I will say though, when it comes down to it, if it's if it's an absolute shootout, I could see the Chargers, you know, beating this team out because Justin Herbert does give you that ability to score from any spot on the field and that's something that the Raiders kind of lack the Raiders can get big plays but they don't have anybody that of you know that has been playing like Mike Williams this year so I agree it is too early to bet on it I think these are right now the two best teams in the AFC West I don't think roster wise I don't think it's close I don't think they're close to the Chiefs I I, offensively the Chiefs roster is miles better but these teams are playing better defensively they're playing better offensively and they're 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 playing better as a whole they just they you could see it in their game they're more confident these these are the two more confident teams and not even just in the AFC West the AFC as a whole I think these are two teams that you know if if they can compete 
they legitimately have a chance. But I will say this, Ed. I'll say this. Come playoff time, I, I'm I'm not talking about getting into the playoffs. If both of these teams sneak their way into the playoffs somehow, I think the Raiders have a better shot to go far. And I'm saying that only because they have the veteran presence on their team a little more. Derek Carr is, you know, he brought them to the playoffs in 2016 when they went on that awesome run. And Derek Carr's just been in more situations. I think I think Herbert with his only being in his second year, it's going to be tough. It really will be, but um it you know that that is very very far out. As of right now, these team these two teams are the best in the AFC West right now. One team in the AFC West though, Ed, that I don't know what's going on with them is the Kansas City Chiefs. Either 2 weeks two or 3 weeks ago, we talked about how bad the defense is. It's it's sliding over to the offense. We know how talented this offense can be, Ed. We know it is one of the best ever. Not not right now. This is one of the best offenses if we've ever seen. Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Travis Kelsey are one of the best trios ever created in football. But it's just not working right now. I mean, it, are the Chiefs are the Chiefs in trouble right now, Ed? Well, this defense for the Chiefs is horrendous, and I think that's what's really holding them back. I mean, another problem with this Chiefs team is that Mahomes is leading the league in interceptions with nine, tied with Zach Wilson. Yeah, I agree, and I think a big part of that is because Mahomes is is having to play hero ball. There's a difference between, you know, being able to go launch it when and, you know, throw it 50 yards downfield when you're up 20 points compared to when you're down 20 points. They're going to be in a prevent defense. They're going to be playing a lot further back. You're going to have to dink and dunk, and that's kind of what we've seen from the Chiefs this year is they they really have had to change the type of offense they are. They're playing almost scared at times because you have to. I mean, Mahomes has tried to, we've seen some of, the ugliest interceptions of the season out of Patrick Mahomes this year. I mean, that one he had against Washington was just unexcusable. And he, he even said it himself. And I, I respect I respect Patrick Mahomes for putting this on himself. He, um, he said he's forcing too many turnovers. I really respect that. He's saying he's trying to do too much. And that comes from him trying to win football games. And he wants to win games more than anybody else. And I, I get that. I do. But at the same time, you know, Patrick Mahomes, you have one of the most talented arms we have ever seen in the history of football. You don't have to necessarily force these throws anymore. They're going to open up, and I think that's. I think a lot of people forget that Mahomes is still relatively young. He's maybe one of the most talented quarterbacks we've ever seen, but he hasn't been in the league for a very long time. He really hasn't. So I, I believe that this is. You know, he's been used to being dominant his entire career and it's, it's going to take a minute for him to learn how to pull himself out of these trenches and that's something that all great quarterbacks have to do at some point in their career and I think right now is that point of Patrick Mahomes career I really think that this offense figures it out but you you are having to rely on hero ball this defense has been it's been pretty pretty bad every year that Patrick Mahomes has been their quarterback but it has not been this bad I mean like I mentioned a few weeks ago, this is on pace to be the worst defense in the history of football, and it's just hard to run an effective offense at that. Yeah, I would say, you know, with this Kansas City Chiefs team, I, I, li- I like what you said. You know, I like what you said about, um, you know, the, this is exactly what's going on in, you know, Patrick Mahomes' career is that, you know, he's having a little dip in his career, and, uh, you know, he needs to pull himself out. You know, I, I think I think if you're... You know, you're Andy Reid and you're the, you know, Kansas City Chiefs brass. You, you got to think, you know, come draft time, come, 
come off season, you know, we, 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 we did what we had to do on the offensive line, right? Like we, we got Mahomes the protection, right? And now the project this offseason is we got to build this defense, right? We got to we gotta get better guys. We got to build up the secondary. We got to, you know, hold the hold these teams. Um, you know, I think Chris Jones has done a good job. I don't put the blame on him uh, necessarily, but um, you know, I, I it, it can't be it can't be all Chris Jones, right? Like you you have to get you have to get talent. You know, you have to get other pass rushers. You have to get you know guys who can cover. Um, you know, so I think I think uh, you know the cornerback position is something. I mean, it's a position that's hard to draft, but I, I mean that's something free agency draft. I think that's something that the Kansas City Chiefs have to look towards in in, in upgrading. Oh, absolutely, Ed. And like you said, Chris Jones has been playing great football. You cannot rely on your defensive tackle to be the heart and soul of your defense. That's a complementary position that should not be. You know, that should not be by far the best player on your team um, or defense, excuse me. And um, I saw I saw a uh, post earlier today. CBS um, made a great point, actually. This makes a lot of sense. I don't want to see what you think about it. Um, you could go after Trey Flowers, the defensive end from the Lions. I mean, that'd be a relatively cheap, probably a fourth or fifth, maybe to get fourth and a fifth rounder. But, you know, that's a guy that's been in the league for a while, veteran presence, hasn't necessarily been what the Lions want him to be, but if you pair that with Chris Jones, I think you might get a better Trey Flowers than what the Lions are getting right now, and that would that would big, fill a big position of need, and that would potentially help Frank Clark out on the other side. So um, I, I understand that secondary right now is probably a bigger issue for them, but for what you can fix before the trade deadline, I think that's an that might be their best option is to go get Trey Flowers. That's that's a cheap player, fills a position of need, and takes a little bit of stress off your other two guys that are your only pass rushers. I mean, I I, I wouldn't be upset if I was a Chiefs fan if I got Trey, Trey Flowers. I'm just I'm saying one thing. One thing I want to say is if I'm a Chiefs fan is you know do you want to be buyers right and at this trade deadline like do you if you're the Kansas City Chiefs do you want do you want to be the buyers or do you want to say hey. You know why don't we why don't we keep our picks and why don't we build for the future? We've got Patrick Mahomes. Uh, you know why don't we just take this year as a wash, get a good draft pick, rebuild our team, and come back stronger? And I I totally get that. I just have a you know this is this is the Kansas City Chiefs, a team that you know coming into the season we all knew or thought was going to be a top three, maybe even the best team in football, and they have been that ever since Mahomes has been their starter. So um, I think it's. It it's, could be a hard reality for Chief fans to accept, um, you know. But I I really I wouldn't if I was a Chiefs fan I wouldn't be upset if they went either way. I I respect the fact that you're trying to improve uh, a piece that needs to be improved. But at the same time, at the end of the day, you you you've you've been in two Super Bowls in the last three years. You know what you're doing. You're gonna trust your process. And I'll like you you have one of the greatest coaches in the history of football in Andy Andy Reid. I trust this man to figure it out. I really, really do. Um, I get it. This is one of the worst defenses we've seen. But take take the Dallas Cowboys for example. Last year they had they they were doing exactly what the Chiefs were. They had prior to Dak's injury, they had a phenomenally good offense, but the defense was horrible. It was horrible. And this year the Cowboys defense they're playing good. They're they're went take, getting a lot of takeaways. They are giving up quite a bit of yardage, but they are playing significantly better significantly better than last year so hopefully the Chiefs can kind of have a turnaround like that because 
you're not expecting them to, you know, go from 32nd to top 10 defense next year. It's That's impossible. It's not going to happen. But if you can get them, you know, to even be a top 20, tw- you know, top 20 defense, if you could get them into the mid of the league, I mean, the Chiefs will find themselves right at being one of the best teams in football and being Super Bowl contenders. But with this defense right now, Ed, they are not Super Bowl contenders in my eyes. I think one thing that you could try to do if you're the Chiefs is, uh, you know, what if, what if you acquired someone like Trey Flowers and then you said, hey, well, you know, well, why don't we try to work out a long-term deal with you? You know, why don't we try to keep you here three or four years? I think that's what you do if you're the Kansas City Chiefs is, you know, maybe maybe you give up the draft pick, but then you, you kind of talk to the guy and you talk to his agent and you say, hey, you know, will you sign in this ballpark and so forth? I mean, yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely, I don't think Trey Flowers is an option to, you know, I don't think it's going to be a, we sign Trey Flowers, boom, smack, we are, we're top 20 defense again. I, I, I don't think it's going to be that fast of a fix, but I think it, I agree, that's somebody you want to kind of get there for a couple or a few years. You don't want to bring him in here to finish out the season and play one more. You want him here for a, a few years to learn the system, actually get implemented in that defense, and then see what he can do for you because I don't I, I don't think right now it's going to be a huge, huge impact signing. I think it will make a difference, but I still don't think it will take the defense to the level it needs. I, I really think this defense right now needs time and it needs new secondary pieces as well. Yes, the defensive line needs an upgrade. The secondary needs, an, I mean, every single aspect of this defense needs an upgrade. So Yes, it's it's gonna it's gonna look pretty once you add Trey Flowers there, and it will help in the long run. But I don't know if it will make that immediate impact. So yeah, Ed, I I definitely agree with you. I would I would definitely talk to him if you do make the trade. Say we want you here long term. That's why we brought you here. The, as long as the Chiefs have Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, and Patrick Mahomes, they're gonna be considered a team that can go for the Super Bowl. They I I promise you that. Regardless of how ugly the season's going. They will still be given their credit because of those three men. And so if, if you can keep them together and just continue to build that defense, I really do think the Chiefs will be they, they will be top of one of the best teams in the AFC again. I really believe that. Um, speaking of best teams in the AFC, not even the best team in the AFC North, the number one seed in the AFC right now, Ed. If I were to tell you this at the beginning of the season, you would have laughed at my face and told me I was lying to you. It's the freaking Cincinnati Bengals, Ed. Who saw this coming? I, I, didn't, <laughs> I didn't see this coming. Um, I don't think a soul did. Uh, continue, my man. Sorry. But, but you know, I, 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 you know, you can hear me on this podcast saying that you know things are going to get better in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow, and things have gotten a lot better with Cincinnati and Joe Burrow. The thing about the Cincinnati team is the defense has been better, right? That's what that's what's that's what the surprise is is that they're getting help on the defensive side of the ball. No, absolutely, and um, that that's I think two guys that were a big part of that are Trey Hendrickson and Larry Ogunjobi. You got Trey Hendrickson from the Saints and Larry O from from uh, Cleveland, and I really think that they helped bring this defense to the level they're at now. Last season, your defensive line was in shambles. I mean, the defense as a whole was in shambles. But you picked up Hendrickson, who was a sack machine last year, and is has not stopped again. He's seventh. He has seven sacks right now. That's tied for the fourth best in the league. He's he's one of the better pass rushers in football. Larry Ogunjobi, 
he has not necessarily been a star, but he's been starting potential. And that was a position that they really needed to fix again to help stop in the run game and, you know, plug that middle. And Larry Ogunjobi is, you know, he's he's done what they've asked. It's as simple as that. He's done what they've asked. He hasn't done more. He hasn't done less. He's done what the what the Bengals need him to do. And, I mean, it, this the, the rest of this team has really come into their own. Offensively, uh, I I said it. Almost everybody else said it. We all thought they should have gone with an offensive line because, you know, your first your first round franchise quarterback went down due to offensive line issues. He got injured. Probably the thing that has impressed me more than any on this offense or with Joe Burrow is his improved pocket presence and his pocket awareness. After tearing your ACL, I would not expect a guy to gain to gain more mobility. I mean, that's his pocket presence was not something that was a weakness of his last year. That was something that was not a strong part of him in college. To see that be his most improved asset of his game coming off of an ACL tear with a below-average offensive line is absolutely mind-blowing. And that right there just shows how hard of a worker that Joe Burrow is and how much this guy actually cares about winning. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I mean, you could see in the way that Joe Burrow tore his ACL. He said, I'll be back and better than ever. And um, you know, he's a confident kid and, um, you know, you know what he means to the state of Louisiana. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think, you know, in the, you know, in Cincinnati, Kentucky area, um, you know, he's, he's going to be just as popular. I mean, he's, you know, he, he has that bulldog mentality. He's accurate. He's a hard worker. Um, you know, he's confident in himself. He leads great teams. The AFC North, Oh my god. For for you and I. Oh Lord. I'm nervous, man. <laughs> I mean, you got you got Cincinnati and Joe Burrow. I mean, I mean just think about what just 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 empathize with me for a minute, right? Okay? Like you got Joe Burrow in Cincinnati and then you got the Ravens and Lamar Jackson in their defense. And then you got the Browns, who probably are the best team on paper, but are without Baker Mayfield. And once they get Baker Mayfield back, I mean, it's like, we got to get Aaron Rodgers. It's like, <laughs> how do you fix the situation without Aaron Rodgers? So- no, seriously, this this division is absolutely unreal. It's unreal because we, we, we envisioned or predicted, uh, at least a lot of people did, for the Bengals to be still a bottom team this year. They have proven they're one of the best teams in football. You have the Ravens, the Browns, and the Bengals. I mean, and the thing is, the Steelers, nobody expected this, the Steelers to be the bottom of the pack this year. Nobody. I mean, I expected them to be um, third above the Bengals, significantly above the Bengals. But it's it's just mind-blowing. Joe Burrow has got some serious swagger to him. He, like, he, he gives, like... Yeah, I, I think that's a good just, word for it, swagger. Yeah, you could just tell that this guy knows he's going to kick your ass when he comes into this game. He, he's he got a I'm better than you mentality, but it's not cocky. It's so confident, and he just you could tell by the way he walks and talks with his teammates. This, we can't talk about the Bengals without talking about Jamar Chase. If, the, if Randy Moss is, you know, saying he's in awe with you, you are doing something right. Jamar Chase, I mean, to put it in perspective— he has as many touchdown receptions as every other rookie wide receiver combined. Combined. People thought Jamar Chase was going to be a bust because of the preseason drops and stuff like that. No, he's on pace to have the most rookie receiving yards in the history of NFL, second most touchdowns. The the dude is I mean, he's playing like a top 10 receiver right now. He's playing like a top 5 receiver. 
watching Jamar Chase, there hasn't been a aspect of his game where I'm like, oh, he needs to improve there. No, not at all. He, after the catch, he's elusive. He's strong. He breaks tackles. One thing that he was somewhat criticized for coming out of college was his inability to create separation. That is, that might be his biggest strength right now. I mean, there's been, what, four games where he's had a touchdown over 60 yards? If that doesn't mean you're creating separation, I don't know what is. Uh, Jamar Chase is, I mean, give the dude his uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year award right now. I mean, nobody's going to come close. I, like, seriously, you you could send it to him right now, and nobody will come close. Yeah, I mean, none of these rookie quarterbacks are really doing that well. I mean, maybe maybe Mac Jones, but I mean, Mac Jones isn't doing. Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, J- Jamar Chase is is the guy, you know, who's who's playing the best as a rookie. And you know, you kind of wonder what the Bengals though is. I mean, you know, do you, do you, do you still question whether they went wide receiver there, or do you think it's okay? You get you get that top one A wide receiver, and you know, you try to get offensive line later on. No, I. that's exactly what you do, Ed, because you are not going to get another guy like Jamar Chase. I pre- There's not going to be a Jamar Chase in next year's draft. I don't, I, I don't think. I, he is, as of right now, the best rookie receiver we've seen up for eight weeks in the history of football. What about, Nobody Jeff- has- what about Justin Jefferson? What about Justin Jefferson? He, he, just, uh, he's on pace to break Justin Jefferson's record. Through the first eight games, he is statistically better than Justin Jefferson, and which is mind-boggling because Justin Jefferson just had the best rookie receiving season ever. So it, so actually, I can't, I cannot say that there won't be a, a player better next year because there's freak athletes coming out each year. But to just to be this criticized, and it's it's just awesome for for Jamar Chase because you're told that you were the wrong pick the entire time. They should have gone offensive line and. At the end of the day, the offensive line, yes, it still needs upgraded. But I think you you went into the season knowing how badly Joe Burrow wanted to play with Jamar Chase and how badly I mean, and obviously it worked out. He wanted it for the for the right reason. It's it's working. I mean, I there's not many people that have a better connection right now than Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase do. I I think you can fix the offensive line in next year's draft. You you have a chance to I mean, you you can go offensive line first round next year. You absolutely can. And I, I really think that for what Penny Sewell would have given you right now compared to what Jamar Chase, like in the difference they would have made on your team, Jamar Chase is so much more impactful right now than Penny Sewell could have been. And that's not even a knock on Penny Sewell in any way, shape, or form. That's that's just praise for how good Joe Burrow's pocket presence has been and how good of a football player Jamar Chase is and how good big of a difference maker he is. You've got the Bengals, who are number one in the AFC. Do you, do you consider them the favorite to win the AFC this year? You know, it's it's so tough for me to say that because this is, I mean, we nobody expected this. We don't we don't know if they they can fall off in three weeks. I'm not expecting them to. They're they're they just look so confident right now. But I don't want to say yes until I've. Because this is this is the first season we've seen them do this, you know. There's been a lot of teams that you know have started off really, really hot and then just out of nowhere and then kind of imploded on themselves. Do I think the Bengals will be in the playoffs? Yeah, I do, Ed. I really do. Uh, do I think they have a chance to win the AFC North? I think they have a chance. I I don't want to say they have a chance to win the entirety of the AFC yet, 
I think the Bills might have something to say about that. The Ravens, at the end of the day, the Ravens have proven to me that they can win uh, bigger games than the Bengals have. I get it. The Bengals just absolutely pile drive them. I mean, they beat the crap out of them. There's no way to put it lightly. They manhandled them. But I really, I really think at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, I would take the Ravens in a playoff game between the two, um, simply because they've been there. And I, I do not think that John uh, Harbaugh was expecting any of this. They were not expecting to get smacked in the mouth like that. And, and, and Joe, I mean, they sacked Lamar five times that game. Lamar's never been sacked five times in his career. I, I really don't think that Harbaugh was giving this uh, this Bengals team and Zach Taylor enough credit um, when they went into to prepping for them. And so I think at the end of the day, the Ravens will be the better team. But when it comes to record-wise, I think th- I think the Bengals have a chance to win out the AFC North. I just I don't think I don't think the Browns will get back to the the level of dominance that the um, with especially with Baker Mayfield's injury. I think they'll be one of the better teams in the league. I just can't see them you know being that team that puts 40, 42 points up on the board every game again. Um, the defense needs to prove to me that they can play like they did in that Denver game for me to have more confidence in my Cleveland Browns. The Ravens have given me more confidence than the Browns, so as of right now, I want to say it's a race between the Ravens and the Bengals. Alrighty, folks, I wanted to I wanted to thank you so much for listening to this part of the Blitzcast. Ed, it is always a fantastic time talking about football with you. I wouldn't want to do it anywhere else. But we we were lucky enough to have some awesome guests on our show uh, talking about the AFC West this uh, this podcast. So we were able to get Scott Gilbranson, a Raiders beat writer, and Ed Easton Jr., a Chiefs beat writer. So I'm super excited to have them on the show. I really appreciate them uh, taking their time out to you know, do some interviewing with Ed. Ed, I wanted to thank you again for being on the show and, you know, doing that interview. We'd like to welcome Scott Gilbranson today from VegasSportsToday.com. How are you doing today, Scott? Good, Ed. I appreciate you having me on. Look forward to talking some football. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. Uh, Where is the leadership coming from with this Raiders team? You know, uh, in the... the, the outfall that was the John Gruden fiasco and scandal, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think it's coming from a couple key areas, but I do think number one in the center of it is Derek Carr, right? Which is you want your franchise quarterback, even though Derek Carr has been a, a very polarizing player amongst the fans of Raider Nation, because a lot of fans like Derek Carr, but then a lot of fans don't like Derek Carr because they don't think he is an elite quarterback. He has not only been an elite quarterback on the field this season to lead them to five and two through seven weeks, but he's also taken charge. When John Gruden stepped down, um, you hear player after player come for media availability. And what he what they say is that, look, Derek Carr is the face of this franchise. He is the voice of the franchise. He stood up in the locker room. Yeah, the owner, Mark Davis, did. And yes, Mike Mayock, the GM, did. And of course, interim coach Rich Basaccia did as well. But it's Derek Carr's team. Derek Carr was the player the leader who stepped up and said, okay, guys, we can either do one of two things. We can crumble because this thing has fallen apart. Our coach is gone, or we can come together, be the brothers that we want to be, be the team we want to be and fight for ourselves and fight for our coaches that are still here and fight for our fans. And of course, for our city in Las Vegas and be the Raiders team we want to be. And and they've chosen the latter and Derek Carr's led the way. Look, they wouldn't have been three and Oh, yes, they had a two game losing streak in between uh, three and Oh and five and two, but they would not be where they are without Derek Carr playing at the caliber that he has so far this season. 
What are your thoughts on the Gruden fallout? Well, you know, hey, there's a lot of things. I think you have to compartmentalize it. Number one, what John Gruden did, what he said, of course, no one's going to defend that. Uh, he owns that, and he's he's paying the price for it, right? So that's the first part. Of it. The second part of it is, and I think this is where Raider fans who are used to kind of being uh, um, picked on, if you will, at least they think that, is the fact that uh, the NFL, the timing of the release of the emails, they had them since June. Why did they release them after the Raiders uh, went 3-0 and and then 3-2. and uh, Why was John Gruden being held accountable? Uh, and then this week we heard at the NFL owners meetings that, oh, yeah, we, we investigated, but we're not going to release the investigation. This is what Roger Goodell said. We're not going to le- release the investigation, uh, but we, we're happy and everybody's been punished, and, and so we're just going to move forward from that. Well, so you're going to tell me out of 600,000 emails, out of all the investigation into the toxic workplace that was the Washington football team, that John Gruden's the only guy in the NFL who did anything wrong? I think that's the bigger problem. I think most Raider fans – have gotten over the fact that John Gruden, what happened with him, and that he's gone, uh, and they've moved forward, and they, they, they know that their team's future is not with him. But I think it's that piece. It's the piece that why were the Raiders, why was John Gruden targeted the way they were with the timing and all of that? There's a lot of questions to be answered there. Again, it doesn't absolve John Gruden of his sins. What it does do, though, is raise questions about the NFL and why they're only punishing one person when there's probably many, many more, uh, especially in Washington, that need to be held accountable for their actions. Who do you think becomes the head coach long term? I mean, obviously, they can't do it this way forever. No, it's it's a good question, and I th- I think it's a pretty simple answer. If Rich Basaccia, uh gets this team and makes the playoffs with the Raiders, I think they take off the interim tag and they keep him. Um, he uh-huh. is a longtime NFL coach, of course, many stops. The players absolutely love him, uh, and he has really held them together. He's been the kind of right guy at the right moment with the right personality and demeanor for this team coming off that jolt and shock that was a John Gruden situation. So I think that if, 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 if he can get them into the playoffs um, and they have a very good year and they don't have what they've had problems with the last three years, which is a late season swoon, the Raiders started six and four, 2019 finished nine and seven. They started six and three last season and finished eight and eight. So they've had a tradition of, of falling down on the second half of the season. If, if he keeps them in the playoff hunt, and they can make the playoffs, I think he keeps a job. If he doesn't, then I think they would explore out options outside because uh, obviously he wouldn't have gotten it done. And in that case, I think Mike Mayock stays on as a GM at least for one more year um, and gets to prove himself away from John Gruden and that then they would go out and do a search for a coach for a permanent replacement. What does Derek Carr mean to them, you know, just as a player on the field, like to this offense? Yeah, I, you know, overall, I, I think I said it earlier, too, which is I, they would not be where they are. He is he is elevated. You don't really talk that often at about a guy developing in his eighth year, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's usually by three or four years, especially with a quarterback, you kind of know what you got, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, there's there's a couple stories here and there where a guy flourishes late, um, the Kurt Warner story and things like this. But, but overall, you don't see a quarterback take a big jump in year eight. But I think Derek Carr has done that. He's He's been in the same offense now for four seasons. He had never had that before in his career. He's having arguably the best career of his uh, – or excuse me, season of his career. Even That includes 
was the 2016 season where he was an MVP candidate till he broke his leg right before the start of the Raiders' last playoff appearance. Um, and so I think that he means everything to them on offense because he's keeping it together, and it's that leadership quality. It's not just his play as a quarterback, which has improved. He's better in the pocket. He's better at creating plays down the field because he's, he's going through his progressions in a much more rigorous fashion than he ever has before. He's also surrounded by more tools from Darren Waller to Henry Ruggs to Brian Edwards to Hunter Renfro. He's got all the tools he needs, so he really doesn't have an excuse, and he's showing that he's willing to step up and do that. But then it's the off-the-field thing we talked about with not only Gruden, but even before Gruden was gone and all that stuff came up, uh, it was his team, and he had a different swagger about him, and I think it's the confidence. I think he's tired of losing. He wants to win, and he knows the window is coming up now, and so he's performing at his highest peak. How do you think this offensive line will hold up in the playoffs? Ooh, that's a tough one. If they get to the playoffs, yeah. listen, the, the offensive line is patchwork. Uh, and and it was it was good to start the season, but it had a lot of problems. And then during the two-game losing streak before the, the two-game winning streak, they they were terrible, right? And, and then you had Alex Leatherwood, the rookie out of Alabama that was playing right tackle, had no business playing right tackle. And again, I always defend the kid because the team put him there. He shouldn't have been drafted as a right tackle. So they move him to right guard. He's played much better. He's coming off his best game as a pro in the win over Philadelphia last week. Um, and so that move has been very good for him. He's gained a lot of confidence quickly, uh, and I think that's good as well. Uh, but then you have Andre James at center, who's now improved too. He was never really a full-time center, and so he's learning that position. And as they start to gel, they get better. You have Colton Miller on the left tackle side. Of course, the high draft pick out of UCLA a few years ago. He's doing really well. Well, um, uh, Brandon Parker, uh, who's at the right tackle now, is also coming along. He's been an up-and-down guy, more of a rotational player, but he's playing well. So if they can continue to develop and play at the level they played against Philadelphia, for example, then I think it's good. I still think it's a question mark, though. I do think that it's the biggest weakness they have on the entire roster is that offensive line. Uh, and and it, does that offensive line protect Derek Carr? Because right now, if Derek Carr is not in the game, even with Marcus Mariota uh, as a backup, I just don't think it's the same team. So they're going to have to continue to develop. They're going to have to continue to see if they can get better. They signed DJ Fluker to the practice squad last week as depth. Um, and we'll see if Richie Incognito ever comes back, which I don't think will happen. But uh, I think they'll also be looking, who knows, at the trade deadline if they make something happen here this week coming up. But uh, it's it's iffy, Ed, it's, and I think if they can make it to the playoffs um, and the competition gets rung up a notch, uh, it's going to be tough for them to stay competitive unless they prove me wrong down the stretch. Tell me about the player in person Max Crosby is. So I, I've been fortunate uh, on our radio show um, to have Max on several times, uh, and I'll tell you what, even you, know, we, we no one had the sense uh, in the media that that Max had a substance abuse problem his first season, um, and every time you talk to him, he's a very respectful young guy uh, and just a really solid human being who always puts team first. Like you never heard him really. Uh, talk about himself very much. And when he did talk about himself, he was always talking about how he was going to get better to help his teammates. 
And so from that, from a human being perspective, what he does with animals in the Las Vegas Valley as well is phenomenal with adoption programs and, of course, kids as charities, what he does there uh, too. And, of course, now with substance abuse and, and making sure people know his story and, of course, his teammate Darren Waller too in that with him. Um, so just an amazing young human being. Here's a guy who's been through it. He understands uh, what's at stake. He understands that he's going to be fighting a lifelong disease, but he, he takes that on and relishes it because he wants to overcome and he wants to 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 be the best man he can. And I think he's doing a damn good job of that. And as a player, I mean, all you got to do is look at the numbers. Uh, I, listen, I was excited about him coming out of college. I was a little um, leery of whether or not he could make it. Uh, but man, he proved me wrong early on. And then he continues to develop. His work ethic is just so tireless that if you see what you're seeing on the field now with him as arguably one of the best pass rushers, if not the top two right now in, in the NFL, it's because of sheer hard work. There's more talented guys, but there's nobody who's going to outwork him. He's going to be in before anybody, and he's going to leave after everybody. And I think that's showing up on the field, uh, that relentless desire to be the best that he can be uh, is really driving him day to day, and you're seeing it on the field. Last question is, uh, do you think they're going to win the division? Wow. Uh, will the Raiders win the division? Um, I still think it's a little early to say. Um, I think they have an opportunity to. I think, you know, everybody wants to count out Kansas City because of the multiple problems they have. I'm not ready to count them out yet. I think it's a little early. Uh, and they're only two games back right now of the Raiders. Uh, and then you have the Chargers. I think the Chargers are a pretty good team and, and have a very good quarterback as well. They they tend to have some issues, too, with injury over time. And so, as you know, in the NFL, it's a game of attrition. And who's going to keep it together? Who's going to be healthy? Who's going to go on the runs that you need to go on? And so are the Raiders uh, top two in the division? I believe they are right now. Can it finish that way? If the Chiefs don't pull it together in the next two or three weeks, then I think it's going to come down to the Chargers and the Raiders. Um, the Chargers always already beat the Raiders once, and the return game is going to be in Vegas late in the season. So it may come down to a really exciting game between the Chargers and Raiders. But I do think the Raiders have a good opportunity to win it. But I think the next four weeks after this bye week are going to be really telling to whether or not they are legitimately an AFC West um, contender. Scott, let us know how we can find your work. Sure. Um, there's a couple ways. Of course, VegasSportsToday.com. I write up there a little bit today. I'm the founder of the website. We cover all Las Vegas sports, but but primarily it started off as a Raiders site originally as SilverAndBlackToday.com, and and now we cover all Raiders, uh, or excuse me, all Las Vegas sports, including the Golden Knights and other uh, college football with UNLV and, and, and all the sports that are happening in Las Vegas. Uh, but also we host two radio shows, my partner Mo Moten and I. You can hear us in Southern California on the Mightier 1090 Silver and Black tonight on Friday nights. Uh, that is from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time. You can stream it online uh, at themightier1090.com or on the TuneIn uh, app. And then on Sunday mornings in Las Vegas, we have a, a Raiders pregame show. It's Silver and Black Today Game Day, which is on 98.5 The Fan, which is an Odyssey station. So if you And that's from 9 to 10 a.m. right before kickoff of the NFL games of the day. Uh, you can catch that, too, on the free Odyssey app on your Android or your iPhone. So those two radio shows and the website. And you can also follow me on Twitter at LVGully. Uh, and uh, I'm pretty interactive there. So if you want to come on and talk football, I'd be happy to do it. Scott, thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. I love what you guys do. Thank you. We have Ed Easton on the show from USA Today Chiefs Wire. How are you doing today, Ed? Doing well, Ed, man. Uh, 
Looking forward to talking to you. Uh, not such a great week for the Chiefs, but uh, hey, we're here. I hear you, man. I hear you, man. So what's going on with the Chiefs? Well, uh, right now they're in a weird stretch in the sense that they're not used to losing. you got to think about the last three years or so. This team has gone to three straight AFC title games, back-to-back um, Super Bowls. So the process of just losing and having issues at the quarterback position with uh, Patrick Mahomes is, is something unheard of. Uh, I do believe, like on social media, the biggest talk has been about Patrick Mahomes' interception numbers, and that's something that we're just not used to watching him. But uh, it is the progression of a team that has a target on its back. They've been dominant over the last couple seasons, and they just have to uh, find a way to prevail. So you're really looking at a team that for the first time is facing adversity, and and it's an interesting uh, process just to see everybody go through it. Is the secondary this team's Achilles heel? You know what? I would have to say the defense as a whole would be the uh, Achilles heel at this point. Uh, the secondary has gotten a lot of the rap over the last couple seasons, but when you look at what's been done with uh, several teams, especially like Buffalo, for example, they've been able to find ways to make plays in the middle of the field. The, uh, the linebacker position has always been a question mark. Uh, Nick Bolton has been a, a great addition in, in regards to what he can do on the field. But uh, you look at the defensive line, you're still not getting the same push you've gotten in past seasons. Chris Jones is still good, but he, he's been injured and, He's had moments where he just hasn't looked like himself, you know, going back and forth between being a defensive end and a defensive tackle this year. Jaron Reed was brought in just for that reason to have Chris Jones available for a defensive end position, but he really hasn't shown us much since uh, the big since the, since coming over. And uh, you got to look at Frank Clark and all the issues he has off the field. It's it's kind of affected his production on the field, and he's been pretty much getting a lot of the criticism lately. But then you also have to look at the secondary, as you were saying, Daniel Sorensen has been uh, he's, he's been struggling for the most part. You've seen a lot of big plays made on him. Uh, just this past weekend against the Titans, um, there were, were just issues with just trying to stay in front of receivers. And if you're looking at Tyron Matthew, who is a leader in the secondary, you could tell he's visibly upset. And it's, it's just been tough. And they've had different guys in and out. Javarius Ward has been injured. Uh, Rashad Fenton has had good moments. So it's just finding a guy that can be consistent. DeAndre Baker was a player that they really looked at as being that either nickel corner or possible starter. Legereus Sneed has uh, hit that sophomore slump. His uh, production isn't the same. So it's it's a lot of uh, blame to go around. And uh, I think a lot of people are starting to look at Steve Spagnuolo, who in his third season as the defensive coordinator, he did such a great job over the last two to see everything kind of come back down to earth this year is uh, a little disturbing. Talk to me about the success of the pick of Kareem Humphrey, you know, that guy in the center, uh, in the middle, um, you know, and just how they rebuilt this offensive line. Creed Humphrey is fitting perfectly. I mean, you're talking about a young uh, rookie who, in my opinion, uh, the Chiefs got a steal, you know, grabbing him as late as they did. Uh, he's, a, he's a good talent. He's got a good um, rapport with Patrick Mahomes, but at the end of the day, he's still a rookie. So he's going to have his growing pains. They're going to have their moments. Uh, that whole offensive line in general is, is so young and kind of, you know, mismatched. you got different players from uh, uh, just with different mindsets thrown in there. Lucas Niang, who is technically in his second year, was drafted in 2020, but sat out his uh, his entire rookie season because of uh, – for COVID reasons. So 
you have guys that are young, you have veterans that have been injured, and it's just it's it's one of those things where it's going to be a process. But just Creed Humphrey, the the player himself, he's been very productive. I feel like him and Mahomes are starting to have a good rapport. But you really can't get a full evaluation of them until, in my opinion, after a year. It's it's a tough transition going from college to NFL, but he's uh, he looks like he's up to the task. Where do you see Mahomes' career right now? Like, where is is this a dip? Is this a, you know things to come? I mean, is this you know is is it just a matter of decision making? Where where do you see his career right now? You know what? Everyone's kind of looking at it and they're saying that finally there's a there's some type of flaw with him or a problem that he is having. The interesting thing, the issue that we are seeing, are things that he's noticed well beforehand, before any of us have noticed. He's he's constantly said, even during his um, MVP season, that he's just now starting to understand the defense and read the defense. He always kind of did everything off the of instinct and and just making plays happen because he's gifted. But now he's understanding that, okay, in the NFL, there are adjustments being made in the secondary, there are adjustments being made with the defense as a whole and the way they play him. You know, there's so much tape being watched. So he's seen this before. He he understood that to play to play a quarterback position for pretty much at a high level for a long time, you have to have an understanding of each defense. You have to be a, a study. you got to make sure that you can make the plays that are not there. So in terms of his legacy, I don't think it's going to bother him too much. I feel like he's a guy that wants to be better. He works hard. You're going to see him bounce back, I believe, in this season, um, believe during the second half of the season because he notices that teams are prepared for him. They have seen the tape on him. They've made adjustments, and he has to do the adjustments on his end. So in regards to his legacy, I feel like this will be a blip on there. Every quarterback is going through it. You can look down the line of all the greats from Aaron Rodgers to Peyton Manning. They've had moments where it looked like uh, is there a bit of a fall off there, but I, I don't see it with Mahomes. A couple of his interceptions have been off the hands of uh, of his own receiver, so that is something to also keep into keep into consideration. Do you think Frank Clark is enough for their defensive line? Well, the defensive line has always been has been the strongest part of their defense. Frank Clark is a good player. He's like I said, the off the field issues have really kind of thrown him off um but it's never really relied on just frank clark chris jones has been pretty much the uh the, the mainstay of that defensive line and you got a guy like mike dana who's played well in spurts when he's in there uh jaron reed is a guy that they really hope can uh turn it around and and make more of an impact but they've they've always had guys on the defensive line that, that didn't really just boil down to one player so with frank clark it's it's interesting, you know. He's going to take a lot of the uh, the blame because of the money and and the off the field stuff, but it never really just was on on Frank Clark in regards to his defensive line being effective. True or false? Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey are still stars. True, without even man, no no doubt in my mind, they are both still stars. Uh, you're, you're talking about a guy like Travis Kelsey. He's playing. He's playing hurt all the time. And he just jokes about it at this point because he's used to it. He's used to playing hurt. He's still out there. He's still a threat every time he's on the field. Uh, I, you know, you could argue about who's the best tight end in the league. Travis Kelsey is top one or two for the last couple seasons for a good reason. 
So you look at a guy like that, you can't replace. Uh, Tyreek Hill, you know what he could do when he gets the football. Yes, he's had a couple of drops, but he's also been um, he's been battling injuries as well. When those guys are on, it's hard to beat Kansas City. You talk about a guy like Tyreek Hill who can beat any corner out there. You talk about in a foot race. He's a guy that they try to stay in front of. They try to throw extra extra coverages at him. He causes so much disruption that it opens up for other players. Because I, I think you notice on the Chiefs' uh, wide receiver, their wide receiver squad, not just having a guy like Josh Gordon, having uh, Byron Pringle, they throw so many different weapons at you. So if you focus too much on Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey, it leaves other people open. So that's always been part of the game plan, and it just shows how important both of those guys are. How do you think Andy Reid is handling this team? I think Andy Reid is handling it the, the way he's always handled it. He's not a guy that's going to be like, it's just somebody's fault. He will always blame himself first. He'll always say, I have to be better. I have to make an adjustment here. He knows the type of players he has. He knows the type of formations they can run. Andy Reid's been doing this for a long time, and obviously getting his first Super Bowl ring about two seasons ago. He is a Hall of Fame coach. I don't think this is something that he's stressing as much, but he is aware that you know the AFC West has gotten better. You see the Raiders are looking good, that this team has to make a move, and they just can't wait around and hope to turn it on like they have in past years because teams are getting better. They're starting to understand what the Chiefs are about. And between him and Eric Bieniemy, uh, they're going to come up with better better strategies on offense to put up points. Like, uh, the, seeing them struggling to score against the Titans team was something different. And, and I know in the back of his mind, because he is an offensive-minded coach, that won't happen again. Do the Chiefs still make the playoffs this year? Absolutely. I, I would be hard. It would be hard to see them not make the playoffs, especially with the extra game now uh, at the end of the year. They're just they have to you know temper their expectations. Uh, we heard Patrick Mahomes say at the beginning of the season, "Oh well, maybe we can win, we go twenty and zero," and that automatically puts a target on your back from all the other teams. So that right there is a learning lesson for him. You know, you can be confident, but what your words do carry and they do matter. So uh, I think that's something that he does understand. This is a very talented team. It'll, you'll be hard-pressed to see a team like the Chiefs lose multiple games in a row. I can see them possibly getting in one of those wild-card spots, maybe even still win the division, but it's still a very long season, and I think people gotta got to relax a little bit in regards to the panic. What does the future of this team look like? Well, the future of this team is it's pretty obvious. It's on Patrick Mahomes in regards to the money that's been invested into him, what he's invested into the community. He's all about being in Kansas City. Kansas City is all about having him. So the future of this team relies on Patrick Mahomes keeping him healthy, keeping him happy, and putting the right weapons around him. And I think that's really what it's going to come down to. Travis Kelsey's 32 years old, so he's getting up there in age. Um, you got guys, you have Tyreek Hill. Tyron Matthews, another question mark. There, there, are some, there are so many question marks with this team in regards to older players, but at the end of the day, you got Patrick Mahomes, still still relatively young. That's the guy you're going to build around. That's the guy you're going to keep bringing talent around, drafting talent. It, it's going to be that type of process. So I, I don't want to compare it to the Green Bay situation when having Aaron Rodgers and just kind of 
mismatching, putting different players there, or even like the Tom Brady situation back in New England when it was like, okay, let's just find different players to put around him. But Mahomes is going to be a mainstay in Kansas City. So if that team is going to be good, they have to have some type of core with him that is going to just be around for a couple of years the way they've had during this dynasty. Ed, can you tell us where we can find your work? Oh, definitely. Uh, you can check us out on uh, Chiefs Wire, which is uh, part of USA Today. Uh, you can give me a follow on Twitter or Instagram. It's at Ed Easton Jr. And uh, just, yeah, I'm, I'm always open to conversation about the Chiefs, whether it's on Twitter or not. And uh, we can go from there. But uh, a lot of articles, uh, podcasts, uh, everything that you want on the Chiefs, uh, we deliver. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, thank you so much, man. Take care.